Hello, this is Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I am here yet again with the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast, aka Curvy Geeky Fangirl recaps, in which I touch on all the things geek that I got through through my week. This includes TV, film, books, you name it, it runs the gamut, and I just basically talk about my opinions on a lot of these things. So, that being said, you can always find me on Instagram, Twitter, and my website, CurvyGeekyFangirl.com. You can also find this podcast through the Anchor app, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and now Spotify. Check us out. Growing. Learning. You see this? Uh, Mostly due to the Anchor app. So, definitely this... um, podcast is created on the Anchor app and it's being distributed to all these places by the Anchor app. So you should definitely check it out. Also through the Anchor app, if you have your own opinions that you want to share with the podcast fam here and get put on the next podcast, you can definitely send me a voice message through the app and that could get played on the next episode. So I'm just going to put that out there, you know, and things. So basically this week I'm going to be recapping a clause. This is the latest season that I am obsessed with. And I love it so much. I'm going to be talking about the latest episode of Claws. I'm going to be talking about the latest episode of Humans. I was left with a lot of questions. Cloak and Dagger, which, okay. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know how I feel about Cloak and Dagger. I'm going to say the episode did get a little more interesting for me, but it's still, like, really a struggle. Also, uh, I've got to catch Ant-Man and the Wasp over the weekend. So I'm going to be touching on all of that did want to give the heads up that this will be spoiler filled so if you haven't seen any of these things you don't want to get spoiled for any of the shows or films that i'm talking about please pause it here check out the shows and or film and then come on back so that we can have our discussion so right after this little break i'm going to be talking about claws okay so Quick recap of Claws. This was a standout episode for Quiet Anne. Quiet Anne, who lives up to that name, uh, we barely get a lot of perspective from. Every so often when she does decide to use her voice and share with the class, we get like these ridiculous genius bombs from her where like we just get a lot of introspection and a lot of like, almost like earned advice about a lot of things. It's just, it. It's really surprising what she's gone through and what she already has like a wisdom for. But it's very rare when it happens. So this whole episode was dedicated to Anne and we got to see her, or hear rather, her internal monologue that she has throughout her her day. And we've known, if you've been watching the show, Klaus, you know that there's been a slow build of animosity towards, uh, Oh, of course, I can't remember anybody's name. Desna, there you go. Towards Desna and crew, especially after the fallout between Anne and her girlfriend. So Anne's, the love of Anne's life was this woman who happened to be a police officer who was really close on Desna's trail into tying Desna into the murders of these really terrible people from the previous season. Polly told her to ensure that that cop could not get close to Desna, period. Uh, Desna also told her, to be fair, that they had to break that off because they would it would get too close to what they were doing. So Quiet Anne gets stuck between a rock and a hard place and makes the ultimate decision by saving Desna and ends up framing and breaking up with the love of her life. And you, you see the after effects of that. And so it kind of culminates in this episode and we finally get Quiet Anne facing a lot of the stuff that's been haunting her for a little bit. We still... Don't have a full picture 
of what happened when she was in jail. We know why she went to jail. So apparently uh, when she was married to a man for a little bit there, uh, she was having an affair with a woman and turned out he was also having an affair with that same woman. So it's kind of like a double betrayal of sorts. But either way, apparently she just like lost it and went to jail for, it. I wanna say attempted murder or at the very least assault on these people, so. But we don't know what happened in there or why it is that she's the muscle of this group. Cause she is, she is, she's the muscle of the class fam. So questions abound. But we did get her to, we did get to see her have her hash out with everybody. You see it culminate and bubble and finally hit its breaking point and she calls Desna out for how she's acting, how she's been treating the fam. And to a degree, Polly, like even though Polly, I feel was the bigger component in the breakup between the cop and Quiet Ann, uh, from Quiet Ann's perspective, you know, a lot of that hurt was coming from Desna and the fact that Desna wasn't aware that she was hurting like she was. And I really love Desna's speech. Like she apologizes and, you know, even though things get crazy and like hauls it back and slaps her, it kind of earned, but also shocking. Like, I love that they laid it all on the table and all everybody apologized. Anne apologized for her actions, but Desna also apologized for not paying attention. Polly apologized for interfering in the first place. And like, this is what I love about these women is that they, they are not perfect by any means possible, but they are a family. And that is what they always come back to. They always come back to protecting each other. And I really, really love that about this show. So we got to see that, and then we got to see Quiet Hand do something really dumb. So she gets the green light to go ahead and get back with the love of her life, which is what she's actually been waiting on. She could have left and just ran off with this woman, but she's dedicated to Desna and the others. So she held back, but now that she's got the green light, you see her trying to meet her, and she meets her at a place, and she tries to meet her, the cop, at her house. Cop's not there, so he manages to get a hold of her over the phone, and that's when she just like, goes full verbal diarrhea and just starts confessing to a bunch of stuff that is clearly going to bite them in the ass later. Uh, but I was, you know, she's under the impression this cop is no longer a cop, which is probably why she went so deep into what she was talking about. Unfortunately, this cop is still a cop. So you see her shortly after her conversation with Anne go and arrest the doctor from the clinic, Polly's boo. So clearly they also have a stake in this game. Uh, I'm interested to see how they're going to explain this. Cause for all intents and purposes, we saw that she got, she got kicked off the force. So is she undercover? Is she part of some specialized units? How is this going to relate to her relationship with Quiet Anne? Questions, 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 questions. So we see all that. Uh, also in Claws, we got to see the Jen and Bryce and it feels really final now. So Jen and Bryce have been going through their things. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know Jen and Bryce are my favorite. They're my favorite couple. Unfortunately, it looks like they're not staying a couple. Randomly, we got like a, a country Western song by them, basically talking about how like they were both addicts and they both worked the steps and they were kind of each other's pillar in being sober. And those pillars crumbled when they hit that year of ridiculousness when Bryce got real deep in the Dixie mob and and Jen was dealing with the aftermath of all of that. And that led to her infidelity and his drug use and now her alcoholism again. 
And even though Jen wants nothing more than to go back to Bryce and have everything be normal, apparently that is not what Bryce wants at all. At all. Which I'm really shocked by. I'm really surprised that he hasn't caved yet or what grudge exactly he's holding on to. And I know they're using the fact that Zlata showed him that video of Jen and Hank going at it. So he got to see it like up close and personal. But I'm, I'm honestly really surprised he hasn't moved to forgiveness for her. It's clear he still cares about her. It's clear that Bryce and Jen, uh, they've been through so much and there's still a lot of love there. But apparently Bryce is really, really hurt by what happened. I also kind of feel like they're doing a really interesting job of painting Jen's actions as the darker horse of the two. And I've touched on this before where I was like, why are we making her such a villain? And then we got, at least from Bryce's perspective, like why she was such a villain because you know, she literally invited somebody who was not a part of their family into their, their issues um, and, you know, broke a vow of marriage. Um, but I mean, Bryce, Bryce was still on drugs. So, and his actions, if anything, led to the kidnapping of their girls. So, but for whatever reason, Jen is the one that's in the wrong and Bryce can't get over it. And now he's asking for a divorce. It's, it's, it's a lot of things. So I'm hoping there's going to be a come around. I'm hoping, uh, Desna's going to figure out what's going on with Jen and, they're gonna get Jen back into like fighting shape. And hopefully with this new perspective, Jen will realize that she's got what she needs. She doesn't need Bryce per se. And I feel like once that's established, then we're gonna have the slow go of Bryce and Jen getting back together. They're still gonna be in each other's lives heavily. They still have their children together. Um, he's still very much a father to those girls. And they're still caught up in all of this drug business. So it's not like they're going anywhere. But I'm very interested to see uh, where that's gonna go. But that was pretty much it for Claus. We didn't get a whole lot else. They kind of touched on Desna and the doctor, but not really. Uh, we had the mom come by talking about marriage. The doctor still hasn't talked about marriage, but the mother was. Desna still doesn't know that Dr. Gregory is the leader of the Haitian mob. And, or mom, sorry, mafia. And we still have some loose ends with Zlata and Uncle Daddy and Rola and anybody else who's trying to jump into this game. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they killed off the main leader of the Dixie Mafia in the last season, and we still haven't seen the consequences of that action. So I'm interested to see if any of the other Dixie mob are gonna come up in this in the series. I'm also interested if they're gonna show any other mobs in this. They talk about the port and how they're dealing with the Dominicans or the Cubans somewhere from a nearby island over there. Um, that's how they're dealing coke. So I'm interested to see if we're gonna deal with them too. But who knows? Who knows? The next episode is coming out, I hope, this Sunday. We did have 4th of July. It might not come out this weekend, but eh, we'll see. But either way, very much enjoying Claws. So right after this, gonna be talking about humans. 
Hey, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate, subscribe, and comment anywhere you hear this podcast because it really helps me out. Just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as Curvy Geeky Fangirl. With the exception of Twitter, of course, Twitter has limitations. So take out that A and take out that I on Fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. All right, so we're going to be talking about humans next. So in humans, this last episode we got was the aftermath of poor Karen's demise. So Karen was uh, brutally beaten by a mob. Uh, in the quaint, quiet town that Joe was living in that was supposed to be like the back-to-basics town where like they didn't have any sense, no no robo-assistance whatsoever, just, just good old people, you know, being prejudiced. So uh, it was right after Karen had sacrificed herself to save Sam, and now Sam is with Joe, and Joe was like, I can't stay in that town, so I'm going to bring you to the next best place that I can think of which is Laura's house, AKA their old house together. So Joe shows up with his synth boy and I keep forgetting that not everybody knows that they were synth children, that that was the next step for that developer. So of course, Laura's like freaked out. She's like, what is it, what, what? And in the midst of this, she's in the middle of still trying to negotiate with parliament, the government, whoever these people are that are making these decisions. Uh, she just got a win, what she feels is like a mini win uh, after having them visit the compound that Max was running, uh, which resulted in them agreeing to set a fine for people who are basically assaulting these poor robots. The fine is like 300 pounds that you have to pay if you ever get caught assaulting this robot. And at first, Max and Laura are like, yes, a win. And even at first, even Mia is like, okay, okay, step in the right direction. But then it quickly becomes apparent that that's not enough. It's not a big enough step. If anything, it's a a tiptoe to something. Not only that, but they are running out of time. Like even though, you know, they've just been awakened and it hasn't been super long for that, they're also keenly aware of how long they can last, even if they weren't being attacked by people on a regular basis. Uh, there's they still are going to be decomposing at a certain rate and they're not going to be you know it's going to be they're going to reach a point where parts can't be replaced they're not going to be able to get fixed and they're just going to end and they're realizing that the speed of change as they're seeing it now is not fast enough for them to be to really live their own lives in peace so Mia realizes after her little meeting with uh, a neighbor who's also I want to say in a relationship with a synth or a buddy or was they are they just friends something but she finds out that there's a human woman living in her building with a synth that she keeps hidden uh, and then she finds out there's a whole synth community that's doing the same thing where you know they've either befriended or in relationships with humans and they're just living closet literal closeted lives in like never leaving the house only staying put and visiting forums to kind of boost each other's spirits. Mia is of course taken aback by the fact that this is a thing that's happening, but it also makes her realize, I have a lot more work I gotta do. Depressing as heck episode. So we see that, we also see the kind of come around with 
Laura and that jerk off who like chased her, chased her out of his house the other day. Um, he ends up helping decide with her for that deciding vote about there being a fee or like a taxation almost against people who are purposefully harming sense. And then he even comes back to like apologize. Of course, Joe is at the house at that point and gets interesting. But I'm also, I also don't know what to make of this dude. Like we got his backstory. We know what he doesn't trust since. We know that their awakening came at the cost of his son's life. I don't, I'm, I'm just a little confused with this turnaround. Did he like Laura? Or is this a, a means to another end? Who knows? With this show, it could be anything. We also got, um, anything happened with Maddie and Leo? Not really. Other than Leo, like, seeing Sam and being like, we have more in common and Sam flat out telling him, no, we don't. Like this. <laughs> Whatever you think we've got in common, we do not. Uh, we also had, we had the biggest part of this, of the episode was Sam, Sam's reaction to everything. And at first, you know, he's, he's not really sure what to make of what happened. He knows that Karen is unable to come to him right now. He knows that she is otherwise incapacitated, uh, for being with him, but he doesn't understand the weight of what that means so and I mean of course he's still I mean even though he looks like a child he's still a sentient robot so he has a grasp of life and he's got a grasp of death unfortunately he doesn't know what that means in terms of him and Karen because they you know they're not people they're not human bodies they're mechanical pieces so on the one hand I thought they did a really good job of explaining like this, we're at a point where we can't fix her. There's no way for her to come back. And him really taking that in and then wondering what the next step is to to say goodbye, basically. So he runs away from Joe and Laura. They get freaked out. And he shows up at a, at a cemetery where he has an interesting conversation with a man. Uh, and it kind of it felt like a catch-all of... This is what's going on. This is, and this is how we move forward after we, we see that kind of a loss. And then kind of trying to move forward with that after that. Sam is an interesting character because yes, on the one hand, he's kind of childlike because he's still learning about the world and how to function in it. And he definitely looks like a child. But on the other hand, you see moments where he is absolutely not a child whatsoever. And what does this mean for him moving into the future, now that he's a sentient being who cannot age. And if anything, it's just gonna further deteriorate in the body he's got. It's very, it's very interesting. I'm interested to see where this is gonna go. So we got that. Um, we didn't really catch up with Niska. There wasn't a whole lot with Niska. We did get a nice surprise twist on the Max front. So Max is really feeling himself. He's like, we're making changes. Um, you know, this is happening, this is happening. And he's mad excited and he tells Aunt Anatoly. And Anatoly at first seems like, you see him be hesitant. He's like, I think we're moving too fast. I don't think we're doing enough to protect our own. And Max is like, no, these are the steps we need to make. So now we're gonna just start opening the doors for these possibilities. And Anatoly is not down with that. It feels like it's out of the blue that all of a sudden he's like, nah, they all gotta go. So we find out Anatoly not only releases Agnes, and tells her that he doesn't think 
Max is going to protect their people anymore. He's also got an in with the orange eyes that works for Laura. So confusion. So it made me remember that he's got a shrine to the creator of the synths, Max's actual, what he called his dad, but, and I guess like a father in a sense. He's got a shrine to this dude. So I wonder if he's one of the purists, one of the synth purists who feel like we are the next step of evolution or if it's something else entirely, but apparently they've got a plant in that house. So now it makes me wonder if Stanley, who's the orange eyes at Laura's house, is Stanley a green eyes with like an, in disguise or? But if he was a green eyes in disguise, he wouldn't have needed permission to enter the rooms. So there was a whole point plot point an earlier episode where Stanley was folding the laundry for Laura in her household and leaving them outside their doors <laughs> in their rooms because he didn't get explicit permission to enter those rooms to do what he had to do. And you see Laura in like a moment of just, just being really frustrated and really busy. Um, you see Stanley come out and announce that he's going to be dropping off the, the laundry or whatever. And Laura telling him, just go ahead and put it in their rooms and him saying, I need your permission. And she gives it to him without a second thought. She just automatically tells him, go ahead. You can enter all the rooms you need to enter. Just finish the work. And we know it's going to bite her in the butt. And now we know that it's definitely going to bite her in the butt. So we find out that Stanley is a plant. I don't know if he's Anatoly's plant or if they're part of a bigger group plant. But now I have a thousand questions. And also, how long has Anatoly been trying to play... Max, questions, more questions abound. And what is Agnes going to do? So Agnes is very much like, we need to kill some humans. Like that is, that's been her plan for a little bit. It's just like, we need to kill some humans to even the score. Um, and on the one hand, I'm not really understanding where she, all this animosity is coming from because she is not inherently connected to all these other synths. But I guess on the other hand, they're trying to play her as, as a synth who was very hurt, who was betrayed by the human that was supposed to be helping her and protect her. And since then, she's not created a very stable or healthy relationship or even a positive relationship with a human since. So I guess it's a culmination of all of that, but that's where they left it. So who knows? Who knows where they're going with that? The series is still very interesting. That was episode five. We've got like maybe three more episodes. Uh, I, apparently this episode, uh, this, this series just finished up in the UK. So if you want extra spoilers, you can look at all the reviews that are happening from UK-based reviewers to see what's going on. Uh, I have, I have, because you know I like spoilers. But uh, I'm not gonna go too deep into it, but I'm very interested to see what Niska is going to be coming up to. And also, is Leo no longer synth-esque at all? Are all of his synth, synth parts gone? Period? Confusion. More confusion. Not really sure what happened there, but who cares? So after this, we're going to be going into Cloak and Dagger. It's going to be brief right after this. Hey there, listener. This is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I thought I'd take a minute to let you know about another podcast that I do with a friend of mine called the People of Culture Podcast with Shay Cherie Show. So that podcast basically touches on anything culture through the perspective of two women of color. So we give our opinions on a lot of different things, and we discuss a lot of different topics that's 
not necessarily only revolved around geek culture. So if you were in the mood for listening to another podcast or to add another podcast to your list, you should definitely check us out. And that is the People of Culture Podcast. You can also find us on our website, thepocpodcast.com. All right. Now you guys know it's my favorite show, Cloak and Dagger. Jokes. This is definitely not a favorite show. So if you've been listening, you know that my feelings on Cloak and Dagger is that I want to like this series, but I don't. So that's where we are with Cloak and Dagger. Uh, this latest episode did pick up the pace a little bit more for me. Like we're actually seeing them do stuff. Cool. Uh, we had Tandy's storyline where she was trying to get more information on the Roxon company and exactly what went down with her dad by becoming an intern for um, this Hess chick who's a bioengineer for the group she does a lot of sciencey plant-based things so she's doing that um and tandy becomes an intern for her and in the the scope of all of that she ends up kind of actually liking the girl as a person so you see her like crafting this whole image of like geeky intern down for science and not so subtly trying to get all this information about her father and trying to find out exactly what she knows about her own dad. And of course, this girl isn't dumb and she puts two and two together. And by the end of the episode, that girl knows that Tandy's Tandy and she's the daughter of that dude who died and got blamed for a lot of stuff. To Tandy's surprise though, this Hess chick doesn't blame her daughter, blame her daughter, blame her dad for everything that went down. Not only that, but she's got like this positive image of her father. Uh, but from her own father. Her own father was apparently really big on the project too. And after the kabloomy blast that happened, he's now in like a vegetable coma situation where like he's awake, but he's not awake. You know what I mean? Like his eyes are open, but he's not communicative. He doesn't seem to really function well without a nurse or anything. And when Tandy touches him to see his hopes, the weirdest power ever. She can hear him humming, which is the humming he's doing, you know, also in his vegetable coma state, but it's behind like a sealed door that's surrounded by black fog, which is very similar to Tyrone's fog. And when she goes to touch it, it immediately like bounces back like to, you know, polar opposite magnets or whatever. So that's happening. Um, we also got Tandy kind of realizing she didn't have to be such a sketchy liar all the time. Hess chick kind of checks her in place and is like, you could have just asked me from get and I would have told you. And she's like, I didn't even think that was possible. So I'm hoping this Hess chick becomes an ally and doesn't later become a backstabbing betrayer. So there's the hope. We also have Tyrone. Uh, I'm not, okay, I'm not really sure how we got to where we got with Tyrone's story. Like, so Tyrone was trying to get more information on the detective that shot his brother. Somehow that culminated, oh no, the previous episode, that's how we got there. That culminated into him running into his uh, brother's old friend, Dwayne. Dwayne, who we overheard in the previous episode, having a full on conversation with the detective that killed his brother and basically them being in business. So Tyrone decides to like be an inside man in Dwayne's operation of whatever that is. It's fronted like this dude is a, um, some kind of builder of some sort, but he also runs drugs. So you see uh, Tyrone getting a lot of that information and then he's trying to find an opportunity to make himself useful so that he can get in on the operation. 
And that results in him tailing one of the dealers, nearly getting his ass kicked, but then also stealing a bag of drugs. So <clears throat> there was a whole other side plot with the detective that they've been showing, who's also doing her own mini investigation into the corrupted detective. And uh, they had a whole part where she was putting pieces together on another drug bust and piecing together that it related to Dwayne's operation. So she zeroed in on a few kids and to show himself as being helpful, that corrupted detective pointed out the one dude that Tyrone was trailing. We see him have a whole confrontation with the dude before the girl detective shows up. You see a moment where she's still trying to show that she's on his side. So he's literally beating the hell out of this kid with no precedence whatsoever. And she turns away so that he can continue to do so. This is to establish that, you know, she's on his side or whatever, but it was also just like, okay, here we go. So we see all that and it culminates with the corrupted detective deciding that this chick's gotta go. She's getting way too close to the drug stuff. She's gotta get ended. And that also goes back to Dwayne. So we have Dwayne who, for whatever reason, is actually kind of a nice guy. He's He is doing stupid shady shit. He completely knows who killed his friend but hasn't said anything this entire time and when Tyrone corners him and is like we need to do this for my brother he's basically like nah <laughs> like, like no I haven't done it in years what is it gonna change and I liked that argument I mean that was a fair argument I mean on the one hand morally ethically it would be the better option to go ahead and be upfront with this information but realistically especially where they're living at and how they're getting their means what would it actually change in a positive direction for him it wouldn't change shit so basically Tyrone leaves him on a moral cliffhanger and it's just like I you know kind of like the speech of I expected more from you this is for my brother yada 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 but it seems to like really weigh on him and so we see him and the corrupted cop come back together and that corrupted cop tells him he's got to kill the girl detective because she's getting too damn close. And you see him weigh it and then seemingly decide, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. But when it comes down to it and he's supposed to shoot her, all he, he either he freezes or he purposefully doesn't shoot. One of the two. But either way, he's a black man with a gun and she shoots and he dies. And then the detective is just like, whoo, you got him. Well, good thing you were here kind of situation whatever but unfortunately Tyrone sees all of this he tries to, he tries to run away he almost gets caught by that detective guy this will be the second time he has shown up in front of the detective and then used his ability in front of the detective he disappears he shows up back at the church where Tandy is living squatting hiding at their church and he's in tears the acting in the show um, is of freeform ABC Family caliber. So I'm, I'm going to be nice and say that when we're supposed to see Tyrone in a very upset situation, we kind of see that happen. And then we get the, the moment where T Tandy is like trying to console him, but she still can't touch him. And now she's like, just like, I don't know what to do right now. And that's how we end the episode. That's how we end the episode. We also had a really, really, for me, random tidbit of lore. So we get this moment between Tyrone's maybe girlfriend. I still understand why this chick is here. So we get this the, the black cheerleader who may or may not 
be with Tyrone. She's sleeping with this dude. She's kissing him. She's and introducing him to family members. But for whatever reason, she's like, we're not together. What the fuck ever. So anyway, she's having a whole conversation with her aunt. And her aunt is doing some kind of spell work and reading um, at her house. Where are they? I don't even know. Someplace uh, where all the dolls live. So you see the two some dolls. And she's basically doing a reading for New Orleans because, okay, sure. She does it and she's like, something's coming. It's going to boil down to two people like it has in the past. And then she kind of like gestures to the dolls on the fireplace. And there's you know, the mini history we got about the brothers and other twosomes of New Orleans before her, you know, horrific situations have come at them. And now she's got that wax, or no, not wax, computer generated uh, figurine of Tyrone. But she doesn't know who his duo is. And then she drops this bomb of like, one must die situation. Okay, show. So here, my issue with this, this random part that we got is A, they've got this surrounded with whatever she's doing. I don't know if it's voodoo or not, but they're, they're definitely trying to give it a mythical sense in there. But it's also not needed. Was this part of their comic strip? Was there a whole voodoo section in there? Was there an oracle of some sort in there? Also this whole one must live and one must die thing, we know can't be true. <laughs> we know can't be true. Anybody who's watching the show more than likely has a basest of understanding about Cloak and Dagger. Like I said, I haven't read the comics, but I know that they are a duo that does not get split up. They might have story arcs where they can't be near each other for a little bit, but ultimately they are always together. They very much paint them as a yin and yang situation. So this whole one must live and one must die feels like an empty threat. It feels like... We just got told the end game for the series. We, to we just got told what the twist is supposed to be for this series with no consequences to it, with no buildup, with no sense of risk to them. Come on, show. Come on, show. Really? Really? I am, what, six episodes in? Five, six episodes in on this show? It's a summer show, so you know it's not super long. It's maybe 10, maybe 13 episodes total. What, the, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Why are we adding all of these fake things and making it like, oh no, it's super serious when it's not? I don't get it. But apparently I might be in the minority of this. So I've listened to a lot of other podcasts that really are into the show and I've read other reviews that really like the show and I seem to be the only one that has an issue with how slow the pace is and what they're introducing into the show. So it might just be a me thing. It might just be a me thing so i'm willing to let it go i'm still going to give the rest of this full season a try i will i'm gonna give it a full try just like i did with agents of shield because lord knows that also was a struggle and agents of shields actually surprised me so i got through struggled through the first season took a break from the second season got back in the third season went back and watched the second season <laughs> Almost got cut up and then gave up on the show again. But it was like a here, there situation. The show has promise. I'm not a fan of when they try to tackle social issues because it doesn't feel like they're tackling them well in any way. But I understand for some people, like that's enough for them. Like this is the, the attempt is more than enough than they need. Cool. Whatever. I mean, I, 
I don't know. I'm just hoping this next episode gives us a little more action. We find out why Tandy and Tyrone can't touch at some point. We're going to get an answer about that. And um, when are they going to go full powers? When are they going to go full powers? So that's it. That's it for Cloak and Dagger. Right after this, I'm going to be talking about, I believe, yeah, I'm going to give my spoiler recap for Ant-Man and the Wasp that I caught over the Saturday, this little weekend here, right after this. Hey there, listeners. So this is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I thought I'd take a moment to let you guys know about that other group I'm constantly talking about and working with, and that is Fan Bros. For all nerds, Fan Bros itself, check out fanbros.com. I actually am a contributor for that website. I post up fandom fashions every now and again, but you should also check out everything else that they've got going on there. They've got wonderful articles covering all things geek. And of course, they have their own podcasts and other sister podcasts underneath them that also cover all things geek. They do talk about it from an urban perspective, which to me just enriches the experience overall. So if you guys get the chance, definitely check them out. All right. So I got to catch the Ant-Man and the Wasp film that dropped this weekend. And I was pleasantly surprised. So Ant-Man and the Wasp is clearly the sequel to Ant-Man, uh, which came out last year, two years ago, a while ago. Uh, no shade, but Ant-Man has not been the strongest of the Marvel properties. Still stronger than Thor or Thor of the Dark World, but but still not like, not one that people are like clamoring to go back and see or, or even that's like super stand out-ish in any way. We still have a white guy who gets a tech suit who then, <laughs> then goes on to try to save the world. And we got one of those already. His name is Iron Man. Um, but Scott Lang, his character played by Paul Rudd, brings a lot to to the show. So I can see why they chose him and not Hank Pym to lead the forefront of this and made it more of a generational thing. Because he's hilarious. Scott Lang is a lame dad. He's also uh, part of an ex-con security business and he's running with his friends. He's also Ant-Man and like a failed hero. So failed in the sense that uh, we know he teamed up with Cap during the during Civil War when they were going, or I guess fighting the Sokovia Accords. He got caught and part of his pack for release was that he had to apparently served some sort of house arrest time. I am a little confused with that outcome because we at the end of the Civil War, we see Cap come back to the prison to free everybody. Falcon is still with Cap as of Infinity War, on the run, but nonetheless out. We also have uh, Black Widow with him. We find out that Scarlet, or not Scarlet, what is her face? I've been talking a lot about Scarlett Johansson. Oh, the disappointment. But um, Scarlet Witch, there we go. She also got out and is seemingly on the run, but otherwise still with them. So I'm a little confused as to why Scott is not or why he wasn't still with Team Captain America. I'm a little lost on that. But other than that, it was still really funny. It was nice and lighthearted, which we definitely needed after Infinity War and all of, all of that. Uh, and we also got to see a little bit more into the Pim Van Dyne dynamic. So if you're familiar with Ant-Man, uh, you know that the original Ant-Man and Wasp was Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, and they were 
a couple slash superhero fighting team. You also know that it's crazy tumultuous. Like, I'm only basing this off of the, the Marvel animated films that have dropped. Hank Pym is a straight up asshole. He's an asshole with good intentions. Very similar to Stark. Very similar to Reed Richardson. So if you get into like the actual Fantastic Four, the good stuff, you see that too. Um, and that really culminates in the original, I want to say Civil, Civil War? Yeah, they, when Ultron was created and... Oh, God. No. No, they didn't create Ultron then. Confusing things. Confusing things. But something happened where all three of them got together. No, they made the fake Thor. There we go. They made a clone Thor that they thought they could control. And then he went crazy and killed some people. So, spoiler. So, But that didn't happen in any of the films. We didn't see that happen anywhere else. Thank God. But, you know. So, Hank Pym hasn't been a stellar person. He's also like... Just not stable in general. He's he's an egomaniac. He's borderline sociopathic. Like there's a lot of things happening with Hank Pym. He's a rather dark hero. Um, and Janet is kind of like the the abused girlfriend in all of this. The abused spouse in all of this. Like she's dealing with a lot of his crap. They separate for a time. Like even in the films, they showcase like how it's not the strongest and how. It's, it's really Hank that's pushing everybody away. And they touch on it in this film too with like how he treated Ben, or I always say Ben, but it's not, it's Bill. Bill Foster. Bill Foster plays, uh, played by Lawrence Fishburne. He actually is prominent in the comics. He played Goliath. So he talks about the Goliath project that he worked on. And he also talks about becoming huge, just like uh, Ant-Man did when he went into Giant Man. Um, but yeah, so it was interesting to see Michelle Pfeiffer take on the role of Janet Van Dyne to complain. They didn't really give us a lot on Michelle Pfeiffer other than her literally being a damsel in distress. They try to like sugarcoat it with like, oh, but she's sciency and she knows, <laughs> she knows some stuff. And she's only in this predicament because, you know, she was such a strong hero, but she's still somebody who has to be saved. We also don't get any backstory as to like how she got into the giants, how she met Hank. What, why she started fighting with him. Like, we don't get a whole lot of detail other than because. Why not? And then we get their meetup. And their meet him finding his wife was really cute. But then they gave her something that I wasn't sure why we needed it. So we find out Janet has some sort of healing power because she stayed in this subatomic place for so long. But it only works on people who are being affected by the subatomic place. So... What? So, okay, so then they introduce us to the villain. The villain of the of the movie. Other than like these random side characters who want the lab for some reason, and the tech, and they don't really say why. Uh, we find out that there's another girl, or well, another person who wants the lab, and that is Ghost. So we find out that there's a girl. There's a girl who is actually the daughter of another scientist that Hank was kind of instrumental in firing uh, from S.H.I.E.L.D., who was doing tests on the same subatomic whatever thing that they were talking about. Only his tests failed terribly, and she happened to survive the aftermath of that. She was the only one to survive. But with that came some interesting side effects. She literally became a ghost. So, like, because her particles and her atoms are continuously shifting and coming back together... She literally phases. So she can phase through objects. She can phase through people. 
But um, also, her body is literally being torn apart and being reconfigured back and forth forever. So, she's also in a lot of pain. We also find out that S.H.I.E.L.D. found out about all of this and weaponized her, of course, and basically used her and then tossed her. So, or were going to toss her. She found out that they were going to kill her. S.H.I.E.L.D. So, interesting. So, she became a sympathetic villain. My qualm with this was that the only black people they introduced in this show other than ti who's part of the crew for the security gang <laughs> they made them villains and i was like here we go but i feel like they kind of course corrected throughout the movie it was like they were like yeah these are going to be our villains but ooh, we're going to try and do the black panther thing and make them villains you also kind of want to root for because you get the backstory for ghosts you do kind of side with her like fuck these guys you should figure out how to fix yourself you didn't ask for none of this um but also you see them take it too far so it was a very weird line that they were trying to do all of this on and at the end of it, we get more of an anti-hero vibe from all of that. Ghost still was intent of just like mur murdering everybody, like whatever. I need to figure out how to survive. Um, and of course, we get Janet and her magic finger. So like I said, Janet has this ability to, if you're, they call it the quantum realm. There we go. Not a subatomic place. Same thing. The She knows how to fix it if you've been affected by the quantum realm. And she knows that this girl after staring at her for five seconds is in pain and, <laughs> and needs help and she does her finger magic and it fixes this chick sure sure sure, sure. yeah sure why not sure okay sure the good things we got though was that we got to see evangeline lily kicking a lot of ass always fun always great uh we got to see a lot of her and scott team up i love that they continuously make scott a doofus he's a total idiot like he's He's hysterical. He's a capable idiot, but an idiot nonetheless. Hysterical. And I love that Paul Rudd gets to play that. He gets to show that he's really just a dork. He's just a huge dork who kind of stumbled into this, kind of has a knack for being able to think on his feet, but is otherwise completely incompetent. So we got all of that. Uh, and they did little tie-ins here and there with the bigger MCU universe. I was wondering when they were going to tie it into Infinity War, and I got my answer. So if you stick around after the credits, it doesn't even roll that long into the credits when we get this extra scene. We see them going back, getting geared up to go back to the quantum realm. So they're working with Scott. It's Janet Van Dyne. It's Hank Pym. And it is uh, their daughter, Hope, along with Scott. They get Scott geared up. He goes back into the quantum realm to get medicinal particles to fix ghost i don't know why we need to get more particles i thought janet fixed her more questions but they do so they send him into the quantum realm and he's joking around with them and then he's like all right i got the particles i'm ready to head back out and dust and that's how they tied it into infinity war and that was that was actually really cool how they tied all that into Infinity War. So I'm very excited to see what happens because he's right now, he's stuck in the quantum <laughs> realm. Uh, he was able to get out of it the last time with his belt, but with this time he was waiting on them to get him out of the tunnel. So it'll be interesting to see how he figures out how to get out of that or if he's going to be staying in the quantum realm somehow. So Ant-Man is supposed to be a part of Infinity War Part Two. He's supposed to be in the next film. I'm interested to see how they're going to work that out, how they're going to loop it back. I'm, uh, I think all the core Avengers are still alive. So Cap, Thor, Stark, uh, Widow. We never saw Hawkeye in the last Infinity War. I don't, 
But more than likely, he's going to be showing up, I'm assuming. So more than likely, we're going to see him come back. Um, Scarlet Witch is... A, no, she got dusted. She was a part of the core group. Uh, I think that's it, right? Cap, Widow. Hulk is around. Yep, Bruce Banner's still around. Thor, Stark. I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. And then, of course, we've got some of the Black Panther people around. We've got some of the other side peoples around. But... Who knows? But it was it was still fun. It was a fun little rob. It wasn't super serious. It's it wasn't super strong in storytelling. Uh, but I also don't think it was supposed to be. I think Ant when you watch an Ant Man movie, you're just you're just kind of there for the fun. You're not really there to be like, ooh, how does this fit into the lore? You're more like, oh my gosh, Scott can play the drums. So, <laughs> so there you go. And I loved I loved that little tidbit we got with the ant playing the drums, the ant names he gives everybody. Antonio Barris. I loved it. That was great. All of that. So definitely, if you get the chance, check it out. It doesn't hurt. Um, yeah, yeah. So AMC Theaters is the one that's around us. Anybody doing that VIP membership thing? I think it's called like AMC A Plus or something. Well, the one where you get three movies. So I'm very confused as to how this works. Supposedly, you got to pay like 20 bucks a month and it's supposed to be a competitor to Movie Pass. Movie Pass. Uh, when it came out, everybody was kind of like, how is this going to work exactly? Because you paid your membership fee and then you got like ridiculously discounted tickets and people were eating it up. They were using it all the time, but that company was definitely losing money. But it also was, I don't know if destroying is the right word, but it was definitely catching the attention of these movie theaters because all of a sudden they were like, wait a minute, hold up. I don't know if, it, if they were seeing a revenue change or what, but it was enough for a lot of them to decide like, oh no, you know what? We're going to do our own membership perks and our own membership whatevers. So so let me know if you guys do the AMC A plus pass, A pass, whatever thing, whatever that VIP tier thing is. Is it worth it? Do you get a lot out of it? Uh, I mean, we're in the summer. A lot of the summer hits. It's dwindling down. It's not going to get any, any more active than it has been, but... Is it good? So let me know. Let me know. And that's pretty much it. That's going to wrap it up for Curvy Geeky Fangirl. It's nice, short, and sweet. A lot of the TV shows, like I said, are going off air. Um, but we're going to get some geeky stuff coming up. Midnight Texas is coming back. I love that show. It's based on the Charlene Harris classic, Midnight Texas. Uh, you may know Charlene Harris's work through True Blood. It was called The Vampire Mysteries, The Southern Vampire Mysteries, I think. Suki Stackhouse and all of that ridiculousness. I have a love-hate relationship when it comes to Charlene Harris stories. They are a good, fast read. If you're looking for a soapy, why the heck not? There's probably going to be a gratuitous sex scene in this book type of read. She's a good go-to. And to her credit, I really love the world she builds for these characters. My qualm with the Charlene Harris world is that they tend to hit lulls. You'll get to points where you're like, I don't care about anything that's happening here. Or they don't introduce enough new things or they don't make sense after a while. They start to like, it feels like when you tell it, you have a good idea for the start of a story and you get to it and then you don't know how to close it up. That's kind of how it feels after a while with the book. So I haven't read her Midnight uh, Texas books, but I did catch the show because I was blown away by the diversity in the casting. Turns out that diversity does not exist in the books. So I'm going to be staying away from the books and just checking out the show. 
my main pull for Midnight Texas was the fact that they have a black witch. It is very rare that we get any type of person of color who deals with magic. Super, super rare. Before this, the only other show I had like that was Coven from the American Horror Story series. And that was amazing. Ga uh, Gabby? Gabby, yep. I'm gonna say that that's her name. I don't, Cibberday, Cibber? Terrible, terrible at names. But she played um, the only black witch in that show and she was the, a descendant of a voodoo. Was she, no, of the first black witch to be in Salem, basically. She was a descendant of hers. And she basically was a voodoo doll. That was her nickname because she could basically pick a person and then whatever she did to herself, that person would feel the effects of. She wouldn't feel it. It was really cool. And I love stories about witches. I, 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 just, I just really like them. I love them so much. But to have a story about somebody in that kind of magical realm who looks like me, stupid rare. But we're starting to see that happen now. Oh, before that we had the craft. I had Rochelle, but Rochelle quickly became lame. I have a running theory. I'm gonna speak this out loud. I feel like there is a way you could connect Rochelle from the craft into uh, the girl from the from Midnight Texas. I'm pretty sure you could. I'm sure there's a way you could, because there's a whole bit in there where she had to leave the town that she was in, and then went over to Midnight Texas. What is her name? Now I'm gonna have to look this up. But I'm pretty sure you could do it. I'm pretty sure you could show that she gotten in with the wrong crowd. Her abilities came to fruition. She did not use them correctly because that's. That definitely happens in the craft. And she lost them and then left. And then you could have her show up in Midnight Texas and take on this other role because that's really when she came into her powers. I am definitely wandering, but I feel like we could do it. I feel like you could definitely say that this is something that could have happened. What is her name? No, I need to find out her name because it's going to drive me crazy if I don't figure out what her name is. What's her name? Hold on. So the girl who plays the witch in Midnight Texas, she was actually in the um, Prince Harry and um, Meghan Markle story that was on Lifetime. <laughs> that was on Lifetime. Oh, that was quite the conversation. Cause I know a lot of people were watching it and they were like, did they just hire like a white person to do this? And then, oh wait, no, they didn't. Okay, cool. It was a whole thing. It was a whole situation. What are the, give me the cast character names. And yeah, do it, Fiji. Yeah. That's her name, Fiji Kavanaugh. So I feel like you could tie Rochelle's story with with the craft into how Fiji's in Midnight, Texas. It's a merging of two different storylines, but who cares? I'm super excited about it. It'd be really cool. If somebody has to have fan story this somewhere. So let me know if they have so I can read this and be super excited about it because I love it. And I know with the Charm reboot, they're trying to do a similar thing by having people of color actually be the ones who are using this magic. Uh, specifically, they're using uh, Latinx actresses. And then I think they're trying to show an Afro-Latina as one. I think that's how they're trying to rope it all in. Jury's still out on how this reboot's actually gonna work, but I'm interested. I'm interested in seeing how this goes. Um, but yeah, back to what I was saying before, that's pretty much gonna be it. As I said, for Creepy Geeky Fangirl, you can find me all over the place, mostly on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. I also do another podcast, as you probably heard a commercial for by now, with my friend Shay Cherie. 
and that is the People of Culture podcast. I also do articles for Fan Bros with Fandom Fashions. That is my stake in the game. I choose everyday, or I style everyday clothes as inspired by all of our favorite geeky interests. So if you're looking for an Ant-Man and Wasp outfit, I got you, boo. It's up there right now on the website. Uh, or anything else. I've done My Hero Academia. I've done Super Mario Brothers. I've done a host of other things. Check it out when you get the chance. And yeah, pray, pray for me and Cloak and Dagger, guys. Because, just because. All right, I hope everybody has a good week. Bye.